Welcome to the Radiant Astrology Podcast, where we illuminate the wisdom of the cosmos for spiritual insight and soul-level healing. I'm your host, Christina Caudill. Thank you for joining me. Hello and welcome to the Radiant Astrology Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Caudill, and I'm so excited to be back after a long break. If you listened to last week's episode, it was quite a long one. It was a two-hour episode with my friend Melissa LaFera, where we spoke about the astrology of the coronavirus, COVID-19, and it was a fascinating discussion, so I hope you didn't miss that. Um, But today, I have another really incredible episode with my friend, Achuta Bhava. Now, you may have known him as Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology, um, but he has decided to go by his spiritual name, Achuta Bhava, and he is just as insightful and wise as ever. So if you are a loyal listener who has been with me and is back, I thank you. If you're a new listener, I'm so glad you're joining me and I welcome you. Um, I wanted to first share some of these great reviews from the Apple Podcast app. So um, if you have the Apple Podcast app, I don't know what they're calling it now. I think that's what they call it, iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Please, if you enjoy um, this podcast, leave me a review. It will really help for this podcast to be discovered. And um, my intention is to do more of them if you get a lot of value out of them. Now, before I went on my break, I had an awesome interview with Colin Bedell. I mean, who doesn't love Colin? And we spoke about queer astrology, and he really schooled me on what it means to be queer and that kind of we're all queer um, right now. I mean, the value of friends is just as important for our feeling of connection as you know, love relationships. Um, and it's it really opened my eyes to how important it is to have all of these different types of connections in our lives. And I really thank Colin for that. Um, Jay Pangle gave us a five-star review and said, so happy to hear you together, you and Colin Bedeller. <laughs> it's Bedell, my favorite astrologers. Um, having you together in one podcast was a dream. I love the shifting happening with how you define queer astrology. This was such an entertaining podcast. Thank you. Um, so thank you so much. I think that was Jessica Polson. Yes, because she ended up, she was the first one to review and, um, she won the giveaway. I was giving away a book of Colin Bedell's, his new queer astrology. Um, we also got an awesome review from Renero 212. Hi, I just listened to the interview with Colin Bedell and it was wonderful and refreshing. As a gay woman, I can appreciate everything that was shared. Love your podcast, Christina. Woohoo! Well, woohoo to you, Renero. Thank you so much. Um, and then we have a review from Tatsu1088. Brilliant co- podcast. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. I especially love the episode with Colin about queer cosmos. What a refreshing and insightful experience. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Um, And it really warms my heart and it gives me the motivation to keep going (laughs) um, doing this podcast. So I really appreciate that. Um, Now, in today's um, episode, 
I speak with Achuta Bhava on not only, you know, Saturn and Aquarius, that is really the big shift that we're feeling collectively. But before we even get to that, we took a deep dive into the Capricorn stellium, as I said, Mars, Jupiter, and Pluto, and what that signifies. Um, and he talks about Capricorn and the symbolism of the mythology of Pan. Um, that's aligned with things like panic and pandemics, um, pandemonium, things like that, and Jupiter amplifying all of that. Um, now, Jupiter is, we know it as the great benefic, and oftentimes we receive blessings from Jupiter, um, but Jupiter is now in its fall in Capricorn. However, those of us with a lot of Capricorn, you know, we may be finding that this is our time, this is our calling, you know, to go big or go home. Maybe that's, well, we're all home, right? <laughs> but we're still going big while we're at home. And I mean, it is a scary time and it can be a sad time too, because this is a time where people are really struggling in every area of life. Um, but I'm finding personally that astrology is something that just keeps me grounded, keeps me centered, gives me a sense of the eternity of life and the cosmos, right? And maybe eternity isn't forever, but it's incredibly expansive. That's what we're connecting to, this eternal wisdom that um, really gives us that true understanding that we are part of something greater. Um, and so I love speaking with Achuta about um, what Capricorn symbolizes because, you know, we, we like to use certain keywords like Capricorn is about society and government and judgment and structure and things like that. Um, but even more so, uh, we look at all of the different symbolism that we're shifting because we're about to shift into more of an Aquarian time, especially at the end of the year in December when Jupiter and Saturn meet up in Aquarius. That is the great conjunction, also known as the great mutation. And that is really going to have an impact going forward on society um, because we can't really access what we typically, you know, expect to from the structure of our society. We're having to recalibrate in every way. And there's no denying that, right? Um, so we have to sort of keep up with these changes and this evolution. And, you know, in some ways it feels right. It feels like there's changes that have been needed to be happening. Um, but at the same time, there can be also a lot of discomfort along that as well, because Saturn, Saturn is not easy, you know, Saturn makes you have to do the work. Um, and, you know, whereas a lot of us want just Jupiter times all the times where everything comes easy, but Saturn can also give us that sense of accomplishment. Um, so we will look at Saturn in Aquarius, um, you know, Saturn having to do with things like boundaries. And so social isolation makes perfect sense with Aquarius being the sign of groups and networks and causes and, um, the greater, you know, society and friends and our audience and things like that. We may feel really isolated from others, but yet have this great craving and desire to connect. 
Um, but before I get into the interview, I wanted to let you know a couple of things that are happening with Radiant Astrology. I just began a daily video series I'm calling the Sanctuary Starcast series. So those of you that follow me on social media, you know I post daily Starcasts, um, and they're in the written form. Um, and I'll be honest, it is so hard for me to write every single day. Um, I'm not all that great at it, I don't think, but... Um, but I've gotten better as I've been doing it. Um, I just felt that right now, I really felt like I needed to be showing more of myself and to connect with more of my audience in that way. So I've begun doing little daily videos about three to five minutes-ish. Sometimes they're much longer because I just can't stop talking. <laughs> but um, I started this series again. It's free, it's on social media, it's Monday through Friday. Um, try to do it in the mornings, Eastern time. I haven't really gotten to groove a specific time yet, but, um, if you follow me on radiant astrology on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, you should be able to catch it on all of those, um, channels for radiant astrology. So join me there every day. And I'd love to have you comment and like, and let me know that you're there. <laughs> Because, you know, this is a time where we can all be feeling very isolated and any little thing we can do to let people know that we are okay and that we will be okay, I think is really valuable right now. So join me for the Sanctuary Starcast series Monday through Friday until we'll see. I'll do it as long as um, it feels like it's valuable to people. Okay, now I also want to let you know that um, I'm opening up the Radiant Astrology membership again, and it's 50% off right now, all membership levels until April 15th. So um, I really invite you to consider, and I know for some people, you know, they don't want to spend any money right now, which I totally understand, but others are you know, I imagine there's those of you that know the value of community. And I created the Radiant Astrology membership for an intimate community of people that really want to connect and learn astrology and speak astrology. You know, there's plenty of groups out there. Um, some of them just get so massive. I mean, we like maybe have 50 people in this, in um, the Facebook group. Well, 40, I think they're actually in there. And that's a nice number. I mean, we're a nice intimate group. Everybody is super friendly and super supportive of each other. And um, there's plenty of benefits. I have three levels. The gratitude level is normally $11 a month. And so you're for now, if you use the code BLESS50, you get that for 50% off. Um, that's $5.50 a month. And you get the month ahead video StarCast, you get the weekly astrology StarCast week ahead, as well as exclusive podcast content. Um, I usually do a little after show with most of my podcast episodes, and that is for members only. All that you get for $5.50 a month right now. Um, then there's a destiny level where you get into the Facebook community. Um, we also do soul circles every Sunday. I'm sorry, not every Sunday, the first Sunday of every month. I do a, like 90 minutes. Sometimes I go two hours soul circle where we look at the astrology. I do a couple of mini readings and um, we do some guided meditations and manifestation. It's a beautiful experience every month. 
Um, and I'm starting to do more kind of Facebook lives on the new moons and full moons in the group. So um, you want to check that out. Um, and then there's the evolution level. If you pay by the year, that's normally $330. Oh, I'm sorry. The destiny level is normally $33. So right now you would get it for half that, which is like $1,650, I think, um, a month. The evolution level is the annual level membership, um, which you get all of the benefits from the previous levels, plus you get two months free, plus you get entered into a monthly full moon drawing. So every full moon, I draw the name of one of our evolution level members, and they get a one-hour astrology session with me, which is valued at $225.00. And let's see, now 50% off 330 is 175, something like that, for the year, for 12 months. Um, so check that out now. That's on till April 15th. Um, and again, if you can't afford anything, join me every single day, well, Monday through Friday on social media for some free daily StarCast because I still definitely want to give to everyone because I really believe in the power and healing capacity of astrology. And because we're in such an uncertain time right now, I know people really need support. Um, so for my one-on-one -on -one soul purpose astrology sessions, which is a session of your natal chart reading and transits um, and progressions, if it makes sense, um, I guide you along your path of soul from an evolutionary astrology standpoint. Normally my rate is 225 for new clients. Um, and 180 for returning clients. And right now I'm doing a special of $150 an hour for new and returning clients until at least April 15th. We'll see how long this goes, but for now um, I'm committing to April 15th and you can visit me at radiantastrology.com to the services page to learn more about that. Okay, thank you for sitting through all that. And um, I'm so excited to share this interview with Achucha Bhava. Um, I think you'll agree that he's really eloquent and insightful. And again, if you can just think of it as we're in the, the sort of end time and the deep time of Capricorn, right? The Capricorn, the stellium that's happening at the end in that last decan of Capricorn is really pressuring us to learn these Capricorn lessons. We still have the South Node in Capricorn that's bringing up the karmic past, things to release. Um, and so it's bringing up, you know, a lot of the shadow of Capricorn. I mean, I'm a triple Capricorn, but I also see the value in it. Um, but as we make this shift, you know, Saturn has already just entered Aquarius and that is the shift from earth to air, right? The realm of ideas, the realm of the future. So we have sort of one foot stuck in the past and another foot, you know, trying to guide us toward the future. Um, and again, you know, none of us have the answers exactly. 
Um, but we just know if we're awake and aware of these changes that are happening, we know that it's not something we can deny. And we more and more want to be creative with the new, with the next. I mean, how long have we been singing about the age of Aquarius, right? And the age of Aquarius is coming. We're getting closer and closer to it. Um, but it can also be scary because it's a new world. Um, we're doing what we have to now to care for ourselves, care for our community, care for humankind. You know, this is unprecedented. But just to consider that there is also, as much as it can be scary and it can be really um, a difficult time to make it through emotionally and mentally, we can lean on one another right? There's so much out there that's just given to us um, to show us that humankind really is a caring species. And at the end of the day, um, we know that we can really lean on one another and be met where we're at. Um, so again, I think this is an amazing time to have the language of astrology right? And if some of this stuff that we talk about is a little, maybe a little over your head, or you don't quite understand, just keep listening because it's like learning any language, right? Eventually something clicks and you get it, right? And there's more and more and more to discover with astrology. It like is a gift that just never ends, that keeps giving. And so I hope you'll take this as a little gift from me. Um, and I know you'll enjoy the interview with Achuta Baba. Um, so here we go. Take care. Hello, this is Christina Codgill with Radiant Astrology. And today, my very special guest is Achuta Bhava. Um, he is an incredible astrologer with Nightlight Astrology. And I'm so excited to have him here today to really talk about all of these changes um, that we're experiencing with so much intensity in the astrology. Right now, it's particularly late Capricorn um, with Saturn about to enter Aquarius. Um, and I thought there was no one better to really articulate what's kind of happening in the cosmos and how we can best use that to enlighten us in our journey right now on earth. So um, welcome, Achuta Baba. It's so great to have you. Thanks, Christina. I'm happy to be here. It's, uh, I mean, you know, it's kind of unfortunate circumstances in the world on one level, but it, it's also a really good time, I think, to, you know, have a deeper conversation. So I'm, we weren't planning on this when we set this up, but now these circumstances are here and it, it sure should make for a good conversation. Yes, the universe knows better than we do, right? As far as planning and timing. <laughs> yeah. And um, I wanted to really get, you know, have my listeners hear from you because I've been loving your YouTube videos that are just basically like a, a lesson each time, right? Um, and you've have this beautiful blending of, um, I think you started as an evolutionary astrologer and then went into more traditional astrology, I understand, right? And then mm -hmm. sort of, um, and it's all interwoven with your own spiritual path and spiritual learning. Um, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you use astrology? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, I've been, I started my astrology practice in 2010. And I think, you know, I mostly I could sort of cut my teeth on evolutionary astrology and psychological or archetypal astrology, which are considered more modern, you know, forms. These, these are really unique innovations in the history of astrology within the last, 
you know, 100 years or so. And that was really what I dove into right away. <clears throat> and actually, I was introduced to astrology and yoga at the same time in my life. So yoga has also played a part in my development as an astrologer since day one. Um, and, and, uh, and then I guess a little bit later in my practice, uh, some years, and I started studying different classical, I'm just a, a bookworm and I'm curious. So I just kept learning and I started studying traditional forms of astrology, Indian, medieval, horary, um, ancient Hellenistic astrology. And now I, uh, I'm also an initiated disciple of the um, bhakti yoga tradition. And so the, um, the combination of a sort of Indian philosophical, it's like yoga philosophy plus sort of ancient Western astrology is mostly what I teach and practice now. But of course, I still have so much love for everything that I, I learned when I first started. So it's kind of a blend of everything. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. I love how you sort of honor all these different systems. And I've heard you say before that each system is a complete system, right? Like Vedic is a complete system and evolutionary is a complete system and, and, and traditional astrology is a complete system. So um, it's like, you know, being able to understand all of these different systems, but know that even if they sort of, sometimes they contradict each other, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they're complete. Um, yeah, I like to think about them as um, different, um, different dialects that the really, if I, the thing that keeps it all together for me is to remember that it's the, it's something divine that's speaking through the language of the sky, that the language of the sky is the script that a higher intelligence or higher being is, is speaking to us. And that the sky or the, this, this greater intelligence, this divinity will speak through different, you know, vernaculars through different dialects. And that looks like different grammars and syntaxes and these different forms or structures of astrology, but it's still the same voice speaking. And the role of the diviner is really the same across all the systems, which is to be a humble interpreter of what that voice might be saying. Mm, I love that. Yes. Um, and I feel like, you know, you can, if it's like the person speaking a bunch of different languages and being able to see, um, you know, for instance, the sky, the symbols, the planets that we're looking at um, from a lot of different vantage points, um, which is especially important now because we have so much happening in the sky right now. Mm -hmm. When we first talked um, about getting together, I don't even remember, we were talking about Pisces season or something, but right. it seems like right now in this moment, like we're talking on um, just after the equinox, actually. And um, we've got Jupiter. Right now, Jupiter and Mars are conjunct in late Capricorn. Um, and then they're not too far behind Pluto. And Saturn is at 29 Capricorn, right? So mm -hmm. it's like all of these different symbols are sort of merging and blending. And, and you know, Mars is the activator coming to activate them all. Um, so, and just maybe if we could start with the archetype of Capricorn and, you know, mm -hmm. how does that really sort of play into all this that's happening? Well, you know, I've been talking a lot about the goat God Pan lately um, because of course, every sign in ancient astrology, the, the name for Capricorn was called the, the goat horned one and uh, has a really obviously a, a, a deep connection to a number of different mythic um, figures, but Pan being one of the, the major ones. And we're hearing the word 
pan spoken by millions of people all over the globe right now, pandemic, panic, pandemonium, panacea. Um, and pan as a goat horned God is a God of nature, but also this God that um, is a messenger. Pan is, um, there's this famous dialogue, um, a Platonic dialogue where Plato's discussing the etymology of um, uh, etymologies of the, the names of the gods and where they come from. And he talks, there's this long conversation where he's talking about Pan as uh, the, I think it was the son of uh, Hermes, of Mercury, um, and <clears throat> discussing the way that um, there's this dual nature to Pan, that Pan on the top is a, um, you know, um, more of a rational creature and uh, like a man and then on the bottom is like a goat and so he says you know truth is uh, and and speech are of two different natures um they and almost like information itself is of two different natures mm -hmm. there's this sort of something that's celestial something that is true and uh clean and pure if you hear someone speaking and they're telling the truth you can just tell it just it rings clearly like a like a bell when someone's lying or someone's not telling the truth, he says, you know, it becomes more twisted and complicated and um, dark and shrouded. So he's making a connection, obviously, to the lower kind of, not no offense to animals, but the kind of lower nature. Uh, and he, he says, you know, that's sort of the lower half of Pan. And Pan is a figure who's a messenger like Hermes who comes around to speak to us about the difference between truth and some very deep form of degeneration or corruption. Um, and we know this to be true in a number of different stories that Pan appears in, but one of them <clears throat> are just really um, basic scenarios that occurs is where Pan appears to frighten people back to their senses. So he's uh, the God, you know, there was a famous book mm -hmm. written by Carl Jung's uh, sort of prodigy student, James Hillman called Pan and the Nightmare. And in Pan and the Nightmare, uh, Hillman talks a lot about panic and, and nightmares and how a nightmare has this way of scaring us back to our senses, mm. especially when we've been unconscious in some way for a long period of time. And Capricorn is, of course, also associated with the goat horned image of uh, the devil, uh, like the devil card in the tarot. But Pan is a more sympathetic character because the devil is really a messenger, a bringer of light, like, Lu like Lucifer also characterized as a, as a light bringer. The, the, you know, when we demonize Pan, we get into trouble. But when we see Pan as a messenger, then in moments like this, where there is a lot of fear in the air, and we can see that astrologically through Jupiter, the planet that amplifies and expands things, conjoining with um, Pluto, so a god, Pluto Hades, a god that oftentimes it can be pretty scary. So you see this widespread fear, especially of something that's invisible, Pluto, the lord of, of course, invisibility. And it's causing widespread panic. But there's a message in it, if we can remember, which is to bring us back to the perfect union between our animal body and our higher nature. And um, Pan, as a messenger, will scare people back into their senses so that they aren't living with a dichotomy between the two. And I, I think that's what's happening with all this lineup in Capricorn right now, that the sea goat is actually a similar image too, where you have a, a fish on the bottom and a goat on the top dual images. Uh, the fish, of course, for ancient people would have been associated with the ocean and water, which were connected with primal fears and desires and instincts. And of course, the goat part, which is the desire to grapple and contend with material forces and sort of climb our way out of the mire.
-hmm. And the same exact dichotomy that we're talking about in Pan. So my sense is that this lineup in Capricorn is something that is, um, you know, we like to think that inside of the city walls, we're safely protected from Pan and panic and pandemonium. But actually, the city, you know, we are animals, right? So we can't ultimately separate ourselves from Pan, from our, our, the unconscious or from the darker animal instincts. And they have, so they have to appear, they have to find a a place to show up at, at times, especially when we're locking them out, when we're trying mm-hmm. to isolate ourselves from them. Mm-hmm. So it's a real irony that right now, as Pan comes into our midst, that we are all being isolated as a kind of mirror reflection of what we've tried to do from nature, but what is ultimately impossible. Civilization, yeah. We've tried to be civilized, keep nature out, mm-hmm. you know, and and control it. And have you been seeing those images of you know, there's dolphins now in the Venice canals. Right. And yes. People, and they're clear. Yeah. They're clear, right? They're like running clear. Yeah. There are people. And then there's, um, there's all kinds of animals in nature now coming out, like into the streets and into the, you know, right, like right. it's like they're reclaiming, you know, what's theirs actually. It's so interesting. Like just now it's happening. Like this mm-hmm. week is at least from what I've seen with, and so but it really seems to speak to that whole part of nature, you know, um, and the animal life is coming alive again because mm-hmm. we, we ultimately can't control it, especially when it's nature itself is bigger than us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I, I, I think that, um, yeah, it's, it's all like mother earth's getting a little rest, you know, <laughs> getting a little breather too, from the amount of, uh, things that we put into the air and, yeah. you know, yeah. And, um, I'm looking at this, you know, it's really speaking to me just looking at this Jupiter, uh, Mars, Pluto, and so many of the, and of course, Saturn, like still in Capricorn. Now, Saturn and Pluto, as we know, haven't been conjuncting Capricorn since like the 1500s, right? So all this that we've been experiencing is something that is, you know, no one alive has been experiencing. And so with just, you know, the amplification of Jupiter and and Mars, um, making that even more um, intensified. And, you know, now Jupiter being a benefic, and of course, Jupiter doesn't have dignity in Capricorn, but um, what would you make of Jupiter's role in all this? I mean, is there any kind of silver lining? Um, Yeah, I I mean, so in 2008, when we had our last, you know, the kind of the recession, the big, the big 2008. Mm -hmm. um, Last time Jupiter was in Capricorn. Yes, that was last time Jupiter was in Capricorn. And 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 Pluto was also had just entered Capricorn too, right? Right, yeah. And so we were getting a taste for it back then. I was a part of um, writing for a web magazine called Reality Sandwich. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of coverage of, at that time, what were just referred to referring to as the the 2012 prophecies you probably remember those yes oh yeah okay right and and many people back then were pontificating about the potential for a breakdown of the structures of the world you know and that 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 that's housing you know the way that the housing affected the markets uh, that crisis and occupy wall street and the arab spring and so many things that came shortly after that a lot of people thought back then you know oh it's there's some kind of big leap that we're about to take and it's you know and a lot of people were connecting it quite literally with 
the Mayan end calendar end date and so forth. Yeah. And mm-hmm. What I always clung to back then was um, I actually spoke at a, a church. I spoke at a, a, a gathering. That's when things really started kind of taking off for you too, right? With your astrology, is it? Uh, yeah, With the it was reality right, sandwich. Yeah, 2010, right around there. But I was, I was, I spoke in a church. I think it was 2011 in Pittsburgh, where there was a big convergence happening, and this United Methodist Church let us use their church, and um, which was kind of ironic because I grew up a preacher's kid in the Methodist Church. <laughs> um, but anyway, at this church, people were saying, you know, it's all going to happen like soon. And there was a lot of anticipation that everything was going to happen right away. And I was giving a talk and um, I said, you know what, I, I have this feeling that this transition is not something that happens all at once, mm-hmm. that it's going to happen gradually, that there are going to be some really pronounced events. And I was giving a talk on astrology and I talked about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in 2020. And it's, so it's really weird to just be thinking back about that um, and of course, I had no idea what was going to happen. But you were talking about Saturn Pluto conjunction of oh, from this like January 2020, back in 2011, right? Yeah, yeah. Because my feeling at the time was that people were getting a little too. Um, what do I want to say? Just people thought that all of the changes implied would happen, this, like, would happen right away. December 21st, yeah, yeah. 2012 or something. Yeah, and then yeah. that date came and went and people were like, okay, oh, the yeah, was I, ending. It was all yeah, BS. Like, yeah. And, you know, and I, I, was not, I was not alone in this. I was not unique in this. I, I'm not trying to say there was anything really special about what I was saying, but I was convinced as a number of other people were that like, we're talking about the threshold of this calendar end date, astrologically speaking, of a, a threshold of change that's happening in the world, but it's a, it's a change in consciousness. They don't happen all at once. It happens over time. And yes, we're sensing the structures of the world are being, are eroding in some ways and that a new, a new way of life is upon us, that it's a, like a birthing canal. All of these analogies are and metaphors, but it's going to take some time. And I, my talk was on Saturn-Pluto conjunction in 2020. And what I found so interesting what about it- What did you say? Do you remember? Well, I, the gist of what I said was that I felt like some of the most serious systemic challenges would come after that conjunction, mm-hmm. um, specifically also because at the end of 2020, we have a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction yeah. in early Aquarius, which would be uh, signifying uh, the potential for a very new and widespread system or structure of some kind, because that's what Jupiter and Saturn dude you know saturn is the structure or the form it's breaking down when it conjoins with pluto it's dying and being reborn and then jupiter is the newness jupiter is the energy of spring and an abundance and proliferation and when that conjoins with saturn typically you see um, moments of uh, the changing of the guard in some way Mm -hmm. uh so i was very hopeful about it saying like i think we're in for some kind of big shock in 2020 to the system maybe the markets again and then i said i think by the end of 2020 that there could be a a, like a ray of hope and a a kind of feeling of rebooting and and trying some new things on for size so that was you know that but the funny thing was the reason i'm telling the story is because when i said that to a group of people who were really really eager about the 2012 stuff, I had some people boo me, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's funny to look back on it now and and feel like, oh, we're in it. And astrologers, like, of course, the past couple of years, like every astrologer that I know has talked about this at some point. Saturn, Pluto, right. Well, then also January, it's the same thing, that date, January 12th, everybody was making a big deal of that one date. Right, yeah. It's like, yeah, things got really intense that week. I mean, you know, Saturn, Pluto and 
um, Capricorn doesn't mess around at all, but still yeah. it was, you know, if, if it was that one date was going to shift everything. I mean, that's when we had some real intense things happening here in the U S especially with the, um, the impeachment trials mm -hmm. and then the, the attacks with Iran and, and that those kinds of things happening. But, um, it still was kind of like after I was hearing people, like, phew, yeah. you know, we got through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And here we are like a couple of months later and we woke up in a completely different world because, you know, it's not over. I mean, as they yeah. separate and they're going to be with it essentially, you know, within an orb of a conjunction most of the year. Yep. Um, so we're still, you know, it's a process. Like yeah. I like what, um, what um, Aaron Sullivan says about anything with Pluto, it is a, it's a process, process. that's an ongoing process. And so that was just sort of, you know, that beginning of that one. And, you know, 2012, I think that was when the um, Uranus Pluto square was starting to come into effect. Right. So that was yeah. Yeah. a whole, you know, I mean, I yeah, remember me that time was, it was an awakening, like yeah. but over a couple of years, but still you couldn't, you know, I think it was really since then, every year completely seemed like the world has changed year yeah. after year. Yeah. Yeah. The Uranus-Pluto dynamic had everyone very excited about revolution. I mean, it was just in the air and um, the feeling of fundamental structures being challenged. I mean, that was when... Um, um, Black Lives Matter was getting started and, or at least I was becoming aware of it in the mainstream was right around the Uranus-Pluto square and the police, police brutality issues were coming. You remember how that, there was just like a wave yeah. of people killing young black men. And I mean, it was, well, we were officers. witnessing it. Yeah. yeah. We were finally like witnessing it. Like, yeah. people yes. Had, like, yeah. We were, that's right. That's right. That's a, that's a better way of explaining. It. There was just this wave of awareness coming in about all these different issues, systemic abuse and, you know, all this stuff. And then, it, you know, it just, it's almost like we got lulled to sleep a little bit because Uranus-Pluto drifted apart a bit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I feel like, you know, this Saturn-Pluto dynamic is sort of, um, you know, we're, it's pressing the panic button and, uh, and we're having to break a little glass and, you know, take out the- Oh yeah, know, where's the system? emergency, right? <laughs> this is a time to be breaking the glass. Um, now, you know, with Jupiter and Pluto coming together, it's so interesting because, you know, I mean, I have a Jupiter-Pluto opposition, you know, fairly tightly in my chart. Oh, and, um, but I've heard different things with it. I mean, I, when I was doing my own kind of research with people with Jupiter-Pluto, and of course it depends on the, the signs and things. I mean, people like um, uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and some people that actually have, I don't have any money or anything like that, like they do, but you know, that, that wealth that, you know, that drive for, you know, creation in the world. And then as well as, you know, in particular, those people, I see them as also being, um, you know, very uh, generous and, you know, wanting to do good with their wealth or wanting to do, you know, mm -hmm. something that helps uplift humanity. Um, so money is just a tool for them. It's not like sort of the end game. Right. Um, but, you know, these can have all kinds of complicated aspects. I've heard a lot of people say that 
uh, Jupiter, Pluto can be about, you know, false prophets also, because I guess when you look at it in terms of the power or abuse of power of Pluto mm -hmm. and Jupiter being that faith, you know, is that faith going to be well used or is it going to be abused, you know, taken and abused from others? So yeah. I don't know, what are you seeing here with the Jupiter, Pluto? Yeah. I mean, the whole false prophet thing or the exposure of false knowledge or false information um, has a number of different levels at which it can be recognized. For example, you know, how many news anchors on Fox News, not, I mean, sorry if anyone of your listeners really <laughs> loves Fox News, but how many of them said, oh, this is nothing. And then you could put sound bites right next to the same exact anchor a couple of weeks later being like, this is the most serious thing, Do, you know. And um, so there's been an attack on truth in the past couple of years. Um, and, you know, I think that's being exposed right now in some ways, but it's also being exposed at a much deeper level. I was doing a video for my YouTube today and I was talking about um, how, you know, there's this image in the I Ching. I drew an I Ching hexagram for my forecast today and the hexagram was number 52, which is called the mountain keeping still. Mm -hmm. And in that image, um, there's a particular line of the hexagram that says, even though the calves try to stop moving because they are servants of the body and the body's in full motion running forward, even though the calves stop, the whole thing will topple. And the, the, the hexagram has to do with, um, like, let's say that uh, you realize, you know what, hey, I've been, I've been deluded by something, or I've been doing something wrong, or I've been serving the wrong values or, or whatever. And you recognize that and you try to stop, still the momentum often carries us forward and crashes us a little bit before we can get back up. Mm -hmm. And um, so similarly right now, in some ways that I think the world is coming into awareness of is, you know, not so much, I guess I would use the word um, with Pluto, uh, Jupiter of, of a false master and the, the master being the intentions or the, the overall um, desires that the greater systems of the world are in service to. And then it's really interesting that when we realize that, even though we realize it and somehow we have to get really still or we have to stop, which is what the mountain keeping still implies, that we, we keep still, we stop. All of the people who are serving the system stop, but the system, because it, it has so much momentum, because it's the master we serve, it will carry forward and topple and carry the legs with it. And so there's this really interesting thing right now, I think, um, that I, one of the ways I'm seeing the false prophet thing is also in terms of um, the false truths that we serve, the, the cor cor corrupt values in the world that we serve and the systems that prop them up. And even when, when, when we stop and we take, take account, we say, oh, you know what, um, this, look at how fragile all of this is that that realization can be very liberating but it's not it doesn't really come without the momentum of the whole system still crashing on some level um and that's that's a hard thing to recognize but it's the, also the ground zero from which um new values can be enacted in the world at least one would hope mm -hmm. and i i think that's what why it's so interesting to see the jupiter pluto jupiter and its fall of course in capricorn being following right after that into a saturn Jupiter conjunction in Aquarius, um, because Aquarius is the sign, the mythology of the water bearer is really interesting. Uh, Ganymede, who is the young man or youth that is the water pourer, the water bearer, the, the um, 
cup-pourer of the gods. He's abducted by Zeus because he's thought to be this exemplary, beautiful, dazzling, promising uh, human being. And so I've he, never he ha- heard this part of Oh, it. yeah. So he has, yeah. He, so Ganymede is like this, um, he's, yeah, he's like this dazzling image of youthful potential. And Zeus sees him and abducts him. And um, supposedly even has kind of like a um, like a, a homosexual like love affair with him, but he's he's abducted by Zeus and taken to serve Zeus as this example of human potential, as the, the human that is closest to the gods. So he gets this unique station because he gets to serve the gods as the cupbearer, which cupbearer, which is incredibly important. But also, in being elevated to that level he is alienated from his home, from the earth, from other people. Other people are jealous of him because of what the position that he has at the same time. Um, So he's alienated from the people because of that jealousy and envy. He's also alienated from the gods because he can never be a god. Mm -hmm. So Aquarius is this funny place where we have to come into contact, as we always do with Saturn, about the boundaries between things. Um, The uh, Saturn, of course, ruled the golden age, as well as Saturn representing the figure who is cast out, usurped, and uh, alienated from his throne of power. And so Aquarius really makes us look at human potential, as well as what the cost of progress is. And um, again, it's a, another dual image of the, the water bear, just like Pan, and so that, you know, there's this sense of hope with this upcoming conjunction, I think, of Jupiter-Saturn, where we can look at the future and go, you know, it's, it, we have the potential to do something special. That's always that, that sense of something being elevated and very lofty and idealized in Aquarius. But also, um, we have to be very careful right now because um, rearranging the Lego blocks, if we haven't addressed the underlying problem, will only serve to alienate us further. Um, and so it's, it's a really Can you interesting say more about moment. that. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, because if, if we rearrange the Lego blocks of the world and just say, okay, the system's not working, let's just rearrange, you know, or sort of redistribute power or wealth or whatever the case might be, even if, um, in some ways it fixes some problems, if we've not under addressed the underlying issue, which is that we are creatures who have our feet and two our feet in two worlds at once. Um, if we haven't addressed how to reconcile the opposites within us, if, if we haven't addressed the need for love in the heart, uh, love in the mind, love of source and love of each other, if, if those things aren't being fundamentally addressed in how we approach restructuring society, um, it, it ultimately it leads to more of the same or can even deepen and intensify existing problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... So that sort of understanding of Aquarius as that sense of being alienated, you know, not really easily fitting in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, I mean, because now we have this whole social distancing, right? right. And who knows how long this is going to go on. But even if we were able to, you know, just have life back to normal in a few months, 
then w- this has been imprinted in our psyches, mm-hmm. you know, that we can't, that someone else, you know, getting close to somebody else presents a, de- a danger, a danger that we can't see, you know? Yeah. And it's, and I would think that there would be some ang- ang- anxiety or underlying fear around <laughs> your fellow human. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the, the, the potential shadow sides of Saturn moving into Aquarius would be deepening the degree to which we become idealistic about what the what civilization technology governments uh, etc should be able to do in order to protect us or in order to address problems in the world so it could drive up idealism about that quite a bit while also intensifying distance from one another because when we view each other through the lens of idealism we're not looking at each other in it through the heart because we're not ideals we're beings Right, so that 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 could be problematic. On the other hand, um, you do have the potential, I think, for us to say, "Look, as people, um, we've been chained by our lower nature, which is only in pursuit of the gratification of our senses or our bank accounts or you know whatever the case might be." And like we're capable of so much more. And what? How can we create a world that reflects some of that a little bit more? I mean, there are some really amazing things happening right now as a byproduct of of all of this, which would be, for example, even if it's just a kind of crisis response, we're seeing socialized forms of medicine. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing care for our neighbors. We're seeing mobilization of uh, shared resources. I mean, so many things like that that are- Communities stepping up to yeah. fill in the gaps that the big lumbering governments can't you know, yes, fill exactly. in quickly enough. Exactly. We realize as people who we are and what the, the potential for agape that is so Aquarian, that that's there too. Um, the water bearer does bear water after all. So it is, um, I think that, but it's a fine line between the two. And Saturn- a lot of people misunderstand Saturn, I think, because in ancient astrology, you know, Saturn was the the liminal gatekeeper between Mm -hmm. the visible and the invisible. And as such, Saturn doesn't represent structure as much as Saturn represents boundaries. Boundaries are not the same thing as structures because a boundary tells us, well, you know, what demarcates the differentiation between two things. And, you know, that's why, for example, we... it's, it could be such an interesting moment for us because on the one hand, we can go like, here's our potential and you know, here's where we are currently. And that boundary between the two become very acute and drive pro- actual progress. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, it can deepen ideological divisions. But that, yeah. that the, the like potential- Like we need more of that right now. <laughs> yeah, no, right. But it, you know, that, that's specifically why I think Saturn in Aquarius is so interesting because it will- it will, uh, it can really amplify the the sense of divisions uh, between the ideal and the real, while also um, uh, hopefully pushing us towards some of what we can actually do a better job at. Toward human potential, it sounds yeah. like, right? Because Aquarius can represent, you know, that evolution of human potential. Saturn wants to make things real, and it's usually really difficult, you know, when Saturn first changes signs, right? There's usually um, and Saturn being a social planet, you know, society, something significant in society shifts. And um, I think it's Liz Green who said Saturn applies pressure to our weak areas so that mm-hmm. we can grow stronger. So we'll find out where we're weak, you know, in this area of our potential. 
Um, and it makes me think of, you know, one time I was listening to one of your talks on YouTube. You used to do Facebook lives. Do you still do those anymore? I no. don't do them as much anymore because it's really hard. The video translates to YouTube um, in, a, in a pretty, um, yeah, it's like really terrible when you try to transfer it to YouTube. And my, my audience on YouTube uh, typically is a lot bigger now. So it's, I just oh, try, to, okay. try to reach as many people as I can. Good. Okay. So um, maybe you could do one of those. Uh, what is it when they do a live YouTube? What do they a call live it? stream? Yeah, you should do that. So it's fun connecting with people on there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but you had said something about, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I remember is you said that you, because you, you used to do a lot of ayahuasca, right? Yeah, is about it okay 10, for me to 10, say? Yeah, 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 totally. I drank, because I drank ayahuasca for uh, um, on and off and sometimes very, for extended periods of time, very seriously for about 10 years. Yeah. And so I think at one point you said you were doing, you felt too much of it that, um, I don't remember what it was, but then you kind of decided that you were, even though you had some really great explorations, you know, with the mind and the soul, you needed to kind of get out of that space and come back into, I guess, you know, waking life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was thinking, gosh, if this guy was sitting in a corner of a room, you know, for years and like a, in a, you know, ayahuasca hole, you know, I would miss <laughs> all of this wonderful stuff he has to share that's within you, you know? Oh. So I just think that it's amazing that I'm glad you got out of that hole, but <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I myself did a weekend of, you know, the plant medicines and one was enough, but <laughs> yeah. it certainly did change the game of everything. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm still, you know, I, I still return to some of those insights. Um, but it's, you know, I guess my point is, is there's a time when we, you know, are doing the exploration and the questioning. And then there's a there's mm -hmm. time where we need to actually put that into play in the world. Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, you know, in Bhakti, our, one of our main scriptures that we read is the Bhagavad Gita. and the opening scene of the Gita is, of course, a large civil war that's taking place between mm -hmm. two families, basically. So, um, and you have Arjuna sitting on the chariot with Krishna, and um, who's, you know, an incarnation of God. And he's saying, um, you know, do I have to fight this battle? Couldn't I just go off to a cave and meditate? And uh, Krishna's response is like, no, that's actually not real yoga. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. so I think so many people are feeling yeah. that right now, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, I mean, because so, for so long we've been playing around with these, you know, we've been playing around with astrology or with, you know, yoga and meditation. And, and now I, I'm, thank God, you know, those of us that have it as part of our lives, whatever it is we go to that is a practice, you know, that helps us to align our spirit and our you know, our sanity, mm -hmm. um, yeah. that now we see the value of that. Um, but also we can't deny there's no escaping Saturn. I mean, I'm a triple Capricorn, so I know <laughs> that there is no escaping when Saturn comes knocking, you know, you can't escape the back door. I mean, you, you know, otherwise you've got some serious consequences. Right. right. So, um, now with Saturn at the very end of Capricorn, um, I don't know, what do you make of like this shift? Because the shift, it's almost like, I mean, the, the social distancing, that feels so Aquarian. But then it's also, you know, Capricorn is also about control. And in some ways, we're giving up our own control, our individual control. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, my sense is that we, over the next few months, Saturn in Aquarius will, like, like the Liz Green quote, you know, pressing on our, putting a little bit of pressure on the weakness. Um, my initial sense is that, that the way that in which that's going to happen is like right now, everyone is sort of, I feel like we're in the first stage of getting used to social isolation. Like it could last, we don't know how long it's going to last, but let's just say it lasted for at least a couple of months. Um, you know, stage two, you know, stage one is like everyone's singing, imagine out the windows, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and like we're, we're, we're and there's, there's a sense in which we're in this together, you know, we're trying to connect and have fun yeah. and, and stay upbeat. But it's like, you know, if you've been in an ayahuasca ceremony before, Christina, you know this, that, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, you know, when you think the medicine's coming on in the beginning, oftentimes when a person drinks a cup of ayahuasca, they'll feel it coming on and they'll be like, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is an altered state. Wow. You know, mm -hmm. and it's like, yeah, it's got about an hour yet to go before it takes you to the place where, um, you know, you, you aren't convinced that you'll ever you're you're not sure that you'll ever ever come back and it has to be that we get to that point often in any kind of spiritual practice uh in in any kind of dark night of the soul scenario you know where the the breaking open of the heart comes in the hard armor that we've been wearing is truly shed because we're made vulnerable by time and stillness and concentration and uh, confinement in a way that nothing else can really um, nothing else can really break us open, break open the heart on that level. So I think, you know, one of the things that I'm seeing is that this is a short journey from Saturn into Aquarius, right? It's just going to be here for a little, a little bit before okay. it turns retrograde, pops back into Capricorn. And my sense is that we're going to start to see deeper and deeper levels of reflection from people as the isolation and the containment phenomenon grows. And I think it's going to be good. I think that people are, some people are really going to flip out. We're going to see the yeah. need for different kinds of mental health care responses and spiritual health care responses mm -hmm. than maybe we've ever seen. But my sense is that this, this concentration for many people is like a little, it's like a plant medicine, you know, it's like a, it's like a ceremony. It's an, it's an initiation is what I'm trying to say. Yes. A right of passage. Exactly. Oh yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. And, and Aquarius also being sometimes associated with, um, as you said, maybe mental illness and trauma, you know, right. um, because there is some kind of a, in trauma, there's a fracturing of the psyche or the self and or, you know, even the mental realm. And, um, you know, with, a, I think when we're in this whole new era of having to be with ourselves and, and maybe know ourselves at a deep, deeper level, but then that might even make us feel even more different you know than others yeah yeah um that's true and this that's what that's where we get into that same liminal space you know from from with saturn where there's this you know do we feel more alienated do we feel more connected there's that funny thing that we say about aquarians psychologically as a joke which is oh you know aquarians they love mm -hmm. humanity but they hate they people. don't have any friends yeah they hate people <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah i mean that's kind of maybe it's a little bit of that but um there's i think one of the, the best for I, all or what is it like for the good of all like the the good of the more people but you know the individual gets lost in that yeah yeah, yeah. and um 
So it's hard to know, does it make us more humane or less? You know, are we getting closer to our humanity or? Mm -hmm. or Well, I think, you know, and and that's the thing is that I think that that's why it's so important that this this sense of isolation, um, I mean, with Mars coming into the conjunction with Saturn by the end of this month, for example, immediately you get the feeling of like martial law or you get, yeah. you know, Mars being martial and law being like Saturn structures, boundaries, things like that. So you, you get that, that feeling of it coming in. But also Saturn, I think of Saturn and Mars, like the pressure that's needed to make a diamond. And that there's also this diamond consciousness that can emerge in these spaces, like I was just saying. And I think that people are gonna, I think we're gonna start seeing more of that. I think, I think we're gonna start seeing crystallized realizations that people are having that are life-changing you know when i think they're going to actually become embodied i've thought about this a little bit i could be wrong but is when we see saturn in a couple of years uh pass out of uh aquarius and into pisces Mm -hmm. Uh, once it gets into pisces that's when i think we're going to see the some of the processing of the underlying trauma or alienation from this period and some of the embodiment of the realizations of this period so everything's process oriented right so and jupiter's going to go from from aquarius into pisces and then following will be saturn into pisces and Mm -hmm. so i my sense is that we're on you know that we're this these kind of crystallized diamond insights that are being pressurized right now and maybe over the next couple of years uh leading maybe to systemic changes at least on the level of policy and law that we're going to go through a a period of deeper emotional embodiment when then we have those the jupiter and saturn passing through pisces yes and that's interesting because with you know if we can see aquarius as that really having to catch up to the new you know oftentimes aquarius is the future but when the future is here you know when you're not ready and you need to make you know create some boundaries around this um this these abstract ideas you know it's like the abstract is starting to come to real all these ideas about how societies and networks and international health organizations should work you know um that that transcend governments that kind of thing like even beyond the the emotional trauma it's like almost like having to having to keep up with the changes and not and in some ways having to put the process processes of the emotions off i would think and then coming into like you said pisces pisces is that purging and it's that you know it's really having to face the emotional realities i think of of what we've been experiencing that's so interesting i i really feel into that too yeah, and I think I think we can also think about um, ideas, right? Ideas are. James Hillman said he used to quote Auden, the poet, who said, "We're we are lived by powers that we pretend to understand," mm-hmm. and that one of the things that this period can do is to sort of strip back and expose us to the ideas that we've been living by. It's like a diet. If, you, if you're trying to figure out why you're having some kind of bad reaction in your health, you know, you start eliminating things in the diet. Well, like, oh, maybe it's dairy, you know, so you eliminate dairy. And then you eliminate gluten and like that. And the thing is, is that when we're stripped of certain things physically in the world right now, we're not just stripped by the thing, we're stripped by the idea that empowered the thing. And 
we're stripped of that as well. And, and in that sense, it's like we're going on an elimination diet from bad ideas right now in a certain way. Not all ideas that are, exist in the world are bad, but some of them are. And this period of isolation may also have us recognizing, oh, it's the gluten, right? It's, it, oh, it's this idea that's been affecting me or my system or the system. And I think that's also how we can understand this Saturn in Aquarius. It's, it's, it's in some ways, it, the isolation reveals the underlying uh, idea that, that's guide, the idea power that guides things. Mm-hmm. You know, and who was it that said, um, there's nothing as powerful as an idea whose time has come? Yes. I don't know. I can't think of who so, that was, uh, but yeah, it's a spot Churchill, on. Churchill probably. Somebody. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like um, ideas are going to actually be more significant to our lives than they are now. And, you know, there have been so many astrologers like Wendy Stacy, for one, who I'm going to have on the podcast talking about, um, you know, we're move, shifting from earth to air with the Jupiter Saturn, great mutation coming into Aquarius and everything. And um, I'd been thinking, hearing about all the, this move to air and this, you know, more and more uh, about ideas and, you know, less materialism. And I thought, no way, we're not ready for that, even though the symbols say that. But now we're just, it's like we're just being shot down that, that um, you know, the birth canal, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like ready or not kind of thing. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, go go ahead. Um, well, I was just going to say, it makes me think of the last time Saturn was in Aquarius was when, I believe it was the end of the um, Soviet Union. Right. And so that was, which was a huge thing, you know, because they were extreme control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that to be break, broken up was, um, you know, it's something had to change. And actually, I think they say it was Chernobyl, actually, that was the initial thing. It was the government was trying to hide that all these people were dying and sick because of that, um, you know, explosion. Um, and they were trying to hide it. And eventually it, it got, you know, the people finally were able to, to have their voices heard. So it's interesting yeah. to see how that might, you know. Yeah, uh, totally. And I, <clears throat> I was also thinking about, um, I don't know if you, I mean, I was a different age, um, probably, uh, you know, than maybe a lot of people listening to this, but in the, um, and I'm trying to remember the exact year. Was it? It was early '90s, wasn't it? '91, I think. Let me see. I can check. Yeah. I was going to check myself. When it but, just entered, um, when Saturn just entered Aquarius. You can go through us like click. click I click, know. Click, click, click. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind the clicking. Let me see. Oh gosh, I should just type it in. I have it as '91. '91, yeah. '91, um, maybe late '90. I don't know, but somewhere right around there. Okay. Um, but that that time for me was, I mean, I was a, a young boy and I was born in 81. So I was like 10 years old. And I remember, I just remember the sense of um, idealism that was in the air during that time. Um, wasn't Clinton elected at some point during, or was that 94? I don't remember. remember. I was a kid too. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. So, but I just remember the idealism that the sort of 
the, the early 90s was at this moment of idealism in, that was sort of in the air as I, as I remember it. But one of the things that's really interesting that was growing right at that point was the grunge and alternative rock movement. Mm, okay. And there's that Aquarian energy again, right? Where it's like, you know, you think of Nirvana. I mean, that was Nirvana's heyday. It was like right around yeah. there. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's this grunge, this this sense of punk uh, and edgy and different and outsider. And you think Ganymedes is also really the picture of, you know, someone whose youth is stolen from them and mm, sto- um, stolen by a superior, you know, sort of, you know, Zeus, you know what I mean? Like a superior masculine mm-hmm. figure who kind of covets him or something. And I think it's also safe to say that Aquarius could be igniting something of the youth, igniting something in the youth. Mm-hmm. Um, like right now, for example, in this election cycle, it's like all white men in their seventies, right? Even though I, you know, I like Bernie Sanders, but I, you know, he's still—they're all like white dudes in their seventies, right? And there were a lot of, you know, and there were some very strong, intelligent women, yes. younger, much younger than them, that were running too. So that's what makes it even more of a sharp contrast. It's like, even though I love Bernie too, but still, in the end of the day, the ones left standing are old white men. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm like, I, I'm a white guy. I'm not trying to be, you know, diss any one or anything necessarily i'm just saying that that sense of you know saturn is the senex the old the old man or the old woman in a, in a certain sense and um i think there's something about ganymedes and the water pour water pour in aquarius it's very youthful comparatively it's a younger fresher um sign in some ways than than uh capricorn for saturn and so my sense is that you're going to see youth but also you know, youth trying to find their their voice. Saturn ruled, for example, feigned appearances, which meant anything that look, was was casting itself to be one way but was devoid of substance. And and mm-hmm. Saturn ruled that feigned appearances. Uh, and so, you think that's stronger in Capricorn than like that element of Saturn? That's a really good question. I, I'd have to think about it for a little bit, but I, initially all, all I, I guess I'm getting at is that the youth are people who don't usually stand for feigned appearances very well. Mm-hmm. And so my sense is that, that that may come to be more acute in all of us. I mean, we all have, it's not just young people, literally, it's the who air within all of us or the young for the eternally young child within youth, each yeah. of us that says, this is fake, this doesn't have substance in it. It's the same thing that the, the, we have to be careful not to identify with the finger pointing at the fakeness because then we get disconnected from the real all over again. But it's, there's something about being able to call out the, the double standard and um, that good art, good music, uh, good culture can come out of that sense of there needing to be more substance. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And also Saturn in Capricorn being very, you know, we tend to see these kind of top down structural, you know, control, Mm -hmm. like so and so hierarchies, where Saturn in Aquarius hopefully can be, you know, more equality on that level. Although I, yes, but I will say this about Capricorn in, in Capricorn's defense, is that most of that control exists alongside of a hidden double standard. And that's pan again, because they have this top-down control, right? And and so what happens is the goat bottom of pan gets you know sublimated or it gets uh, gets repressed, 
And you know, a lot of these people with the top-down control, what do we what do we find out as Saturn was in Capricorn? How, what's the what's the guy's name? Jeffrey Epstein? Oh God, yeah. And, right? and well, Pluto also, I think, right? Yeah. Is that there's all this? There was all this like just toxic stuff that festering that he was yeah. kind of living off of, basically. Yeah, yeah. So there's something, but I think the point I'm trying to make is there's something very sensual and, and erotic and deep and mysterious and primal about Capricorn as well. That's true. Yeah. Um, true. And that it, it's it's really that the, when, when the top half of Capricorn, let's say the controlling rational half tries to suppress and control the animal half, that's when you have all of these like more patriarchal scenarios that are just corrupt down to the core with double standards, hypocrisy and greed and all the stuff that's hidden from the surface. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And thank you Pluto and Capricorn for showing us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Laying it big, show, making Laying it, it invisible. Bare. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Adam. I know you had said you, had um, to run after three o'clock, which it is now. Um, but before you go, I want you to tell um, our listeners, what do you have up next? Does nightlife astrology have anything coming up? I love all of these little mini summits you put on. You always have such great quality astrologers. Um, but you. what's coming up next? Yeah. Um, so you can find my website. Uh, it's night light astrology. People often think, I, I, Did I say nightlife. I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe it I sounds like a cool astrological dance club, maybe like <laughs> nightlife no night, nightlightastrology.com. Um, I'm speaking tomorrow at Kepler colleges thing. So I think by the time this is out, this people might not come out get that. that. Yeah. Um, but well, I, but they, maybe they can get the recording. You can get the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have um, three classes that I'm starting in June. We'll see if, I mean, I don't, I really don't know how the astrological market, so to speak, is going to be impacted. Oh, but the market, yeah. Uh, but if it's online, you could at least it's online. find People a way to make it, it work. Home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, uh, my class is called Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystic. It's a one-year uh, immersion course with optional certification testing. And it is a class in ancient Hellenistic astrology with a good dose of modern psychological archetypal stuff. Ooh, if you, if, I love that. Yeah, and I, I think I think that if people are looking to learn more about you know kind of the old old school roots of astrology, but but learn so in a way that is still hip to modern ideas, that the course is you know probably going to be really enjoyable. I think psychology and astrology, they are such an incredible pairing, you know, Um, and I'm so glad that you're bringing this to people and that, you know, and there's actually some excellent astrologers who've done the work before us that were sort of standing on their shoulders. And I'm glad that now it's becoming so much more democratic, you know, it's becoming so much more widespread. Um, so, and I loved the Bhagavad Gita course that you hosted with your teacher, I think it was at yeah. one time. So you, you, do you have other like sort of spiritual offerings or is this kind of the only Yeah. Thing? Yeah. So the ancient astrology for the modern mystic course, my year two course, my horary course, you can find more info about all of those things on my website. Um, but I also create daily content for the most part on YouTube and then it gets, you know, you can, it's distributed all across, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. All across the world. (laughs) And and then it's, um, it's really, I have, um, a newsletter. If people sign up for the newsletter on my website starting next week, there's, I'm, um, creating exclusive content, uh, on the topics of bhakti yoga. 
and also uh, planets and plant medicine. And I'm doing that only for people who subscribe for the most part, because I want to try to keep my public work um, focused on astrology a bit more and have a place where people who are interested in my, the spiritual path that I study, you know, to have a place where they can learn about that more in a, you know, in a kind of more private way, because it's, I'd say like a lot of my audience is interested in the overlap between yoga philosophy and astrology, but a lot of people are like, you know, understandably, they don't want to talk necessarily about yoga. They want to hear about the transits. So I'm trying to find a way of giving that to my audience, but just separating it just a little bit. Mm, Okay. And so if people don't know, you ran and owned a yoga studio for many years, right? Up until recently. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Go Go ahead. Well, and also this work you've been doing with plant medicines have been ongoing for many years too. So you're not just dabbling. You're not a dabbler. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, my, my wife's a clinical herbal. Um, uh, oh, that's well, right. She, she's a clinical herbalist and has her master's degree in clinical herbal medicine. And um, we have a big, huge herb garden and uh, we owned a yoga studio for 10 years. And then, like I said, I was in the ayahuasca community for about 10 years. And so um you know, I try to blend, we try to blend those things together in, you know, in everything that we, we do. And my yoga path became really serious, um, seriously committed the path of bhakti yoga in particular, which is really the yoga of, of the Bhagavad Gita, um, that that became really serious for me several years ago. And then I was initiated this last December. Um, so, you know, Oh, initiated into what? Well, initiated um, in bhakti yoga, it's like a, there's a lineage of, of uh, it's like a, like a disciplic succession. Mm-hmm. And so y- when you st- start studying bhakti yoga, it's a bit like, you know, getting confirmed in the church or getting baptized in the church. It's like a, a sort of like a rite of passage that um, happens when you decide to commit your life to studying with one guru in particular. There's many in the tradition, but uh, many gurus who all are part of the same tradition. But so I found my guru in India um, about three years ago, and um, uh, then gradually um, just started aspiring with him. And there's a whole kind of initiation process that you go through. And then when you're initiated, you're given a, a devotional name. And uh, then there's certain, um, basically, um, I'm a monk. That's that's the simplest way to put it. So I've, I've kind of taken uh, monastic vows about the way that I, I live, and I've taken a new name and things like that. Oh my gosh, all this and with a family, two little kids and a business. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's it's handy that my wife and I are really on the same page about these things. Like mm-hmm. it, we're a team. So, um, you know, and, and the nice thing too about the bhakti yoga tradition is that when you're, when you're an, an initiated monk, you're still considered a householder, which means it's kind of a modified monastic lifestyle. You try to make your mm-hmm. home into a temple, basically. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, you sound like you really go deep and whatever it is that interests you, you take it seriously and go deep. Um, and so, you know, thank you so much for sharing all of your stuff with, well, with me today and also on YouTube and everything. I'm definitely going to urge all of my listeners um, to check you out on YouTube. And um, what's that website? What's your website, Anne? Is it the Nightlight one? Yeah, nightlightastrology, uh, nightlightastrology.com. Yeah. 
Okay. I'll definitely have that link in the show notes. Um, so thank you so much, Achuta Baba. Again, this was such an honor to have you on the podcast and um, I hope you'll come back because um, I could listen to you and talk to you for hours. So oh, me too. This has been really fun, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. And I, you know, thank you to everyone who ends up listening to this for um, being along with us. I'm sure we all, it, it, it's so fun to do this in community with each other. So I, if yeah. anyone wants to send comments or anything like that, they can always email me as well at nightlightastrology. Uh, info at nightlightastrology.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Achita Baba. You have a great day. Okay. Take it easy, Christina. <laughs> Bye. Bye.